support from fans worldwide for the Palestinian cause has definitely been heartwarming for a lot of Palestinians who have felt like with this wave of normalization agreements, the Palestinian cause was being pushed aside on an official level. This may very well be the case. Palestinian cause is alive in the hearts of the people. No amount of propaganda, no amount of agreements on the diplomatic level can hide what is plain for the world to see. Israel's an apartheid state engages in a tremendous amount of violence against the Palestinian people on a daily basis, demolishing their homes. Jenna now joins the over 50 Palestinian children who have been murdered this year. The world will not lay silent in the face of these egregious crimes. The Zionists assume the world's stupidity excuses that they give can only be given if you assume that everybody in front of you doesn't even have a single brain cell. How does a sniper unintentionally hit their target? Hello and welcome to episode 80 of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where we break down the latest headlines dealing with Palestine from all over the world and bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of supporting the Palestinian struggle for justice and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Lara E. You might know me from Instagram as at Gazan Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mikey B. What's up, y'all? Mikey B on TikTok, Michael Scherzer on Instagram. And you can call me Mikey Intifada if you took to horseback to stop people from celebrating Morocco's win. Before we get into today's episode, please like, comment, and subscribe if you hang out with us on YouTube. If you're listening on a podcast app, subscribe and leave a review. As always, you can find our full episodes and sources on palestinepod.com. And if you want to get involved in the conversation, reach out to us at palestinepod at gmail.com and give us a follow on Instagram at the Palestine Pod. Find us also on Patreon where you get early access to the Palestine Pod episodes and additional one to two podcasts per week, including our latest podcast, the Patreon Pod. It's a little more laid back. We talk politics, Palestine, pop culture, and get a little more personal. We're also hosting our monthly Zoom happy hours with our Patreon subscribers only. So really exciting stuff. Check us out on patreon.com slash palestinepod. Morocco has been advancing throughout the World Cup tournament and representing Palestine heavy. They posed with the Palestinian flag. There's one player who wore it around his neck. Abdel Hamid Sabiri wears the flag of Palestine celebrating the victory of Morocco in the World Cup tournament. And it's just so nice to see Palestine get the love that it deserves from people, despite the fact that their governments, which Qatar has not, but many governments have normalized with the occupation that it's not how the people feel. The people love Palestine. The people stand with Palestine. Well, lots of things to pick up on related to the World Cup. I think seeing the support from fans worldwide for the Palestinian cause has definitely been heartwarming and I think endearing for a lot of Palestinians who have felt like with this wave of normalization agreements with a lot of the Gulf states that the Palestinian cause was being pushed aside. And this was definitely a confirmation that although on an official level, this may very well be the case, Palestinian cause is alive in the hearts of the people. And this is super important. It shows that no amount of propaganda, no amount of trying to paint Israel as this, you know, great liberal place to go visit, no amount of agreements on the diplomatic level can serve to hide what is plain for the world to see, that Israel's an apartheid state, that it engages in a tremendous amount of violence against the Palestinian people on a daily basis, 
that ranges from demolishing their homes, murdering their children, and more, and that the world will not lay silent in the face of these egregious crimes. I think it's really interesting to see how, on the one hand, you have these Zionist reporters that are claiming to be so shocked and surprised at why nobody wants to talk to us. They're they're acting dumb. You know, they're playing dumb for the world to see what you don't want to talk to us. Why don't you want to talk to us? Why you don't like Israel? Why, you know, you know, you saw we saw these clips over and over again. And at the same time that they're feigning this ignorance about why the world w- might have a problem with the state that they represent, at the very same time, Israel is engaging in the murder of Palestinian children on a daily basis. Just today, we got news that the apartheid state murdered another Palestinian child by the name of Jana Zakarna in occupied Janine. The raids on Janine are continuing. This particular girl, who was reported to be 15 or 16 years old, was executed by occupation snipers on the roof of her house. Apparently, she went up to the roof of her house to look for her cat when the raid on Janine began this morning and was executed four bullets to her body by a sniper. Now, if you just know like a little bit about snipers, then you know that a sniper, when he's looking down the barrel of his 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 gun, that he can see the target that he's aiming at. Now, in what world is a girl... Am I, is that wrong? Yeah, 100% you're right. And it also means that there was likely more than one sniper, obviously in execution. It's insanity. And as of an hour ago, CNN reported that Israel military admits shooting 16-year-old Palestinian girl calls it unintentional. In what world is a sniper attack that riddles a, a child's body with bullets when she's standing in her house on the roof of her house? In what world are we going to accept that that is quote unquote unintentional? What were they intending? Like you have to ask the follow-up question, right? The Zionists always assume the world's stupidity, right? Because, Because when you look at the excuses that they give, they can only be given if you assume that everybody in front of you doesn't even have a single brain cell. And sometimes that's that's the case, right? Because the media will publish these things without challenging it in the slightest. I mean, this is a headline on CNN. Who's the who's the reporter here who's engaged in a totally egregious violation? I, I can't even imagine just getting this from getting this on your email. Israeli military calls it unintentional, and then saying, "Yeah, we're just we're good, we're good to go. Let's just print that." No scrutiny whatsoever. Who, who is the reporter that has printed this without the slightest bit of scrutiny against what is a totally improbable, definitely a lie of an excuse? How does a sniper unintentionally hit their target? Thank you. That's all I'm trying to say. Sniping is a very precise thing. That's the point of the sniper rifle is you're far away. You don't need to be close up. You could still be precise in your target. So it's like, you know what you're shooting at 100%. They knew they were shooting at Shireen. They knew she had a pressed vest. They They knew this was a child. They executed a child. Because I mean, that's what they do on a daily basis. And, you know, it's not even an exaggeration to say daily basis because it is on a daily basis. Every day, Israel kills a child. Every day. Every day, there is a new child that the occupation has murdered. Let me just read to you what Jana's uncle said. Jana's uncle, Mejid Zakarna, told CNN on Monday that his niece was, quote, shot with four bullets, two to her face, one to her neck, and one to her shoulder. 
Israeli military were heavily shooting everywhere. Jana was inside the house with her family when she heard people screaming. She went to the rooftop to see what is happening. I heard other reports today. I on Palestine reported that she went to the rooftop to look for her cat and to shield her cat from uh, from any danger because her cat was on the roof. I on Palestine also posted a video thereafter of her cat who was safe after she had already been executed. 20 minutes after the soldiers left the neighborhood, her father went to look for her. He found her lying on the floor with a face full of blood. They're worried about a movie. They're worried about a movie that honestly doesn't show enough. Like, sure, it does a good job. And, like, you only want to do so much because it's trauma. But, like, they're murdering people every day. There was, like, a scuffle with an occupation soldier and he was just yeah. trying to push him off of him. And then the soldier just shot him dead in the middle of the street. God damn, bro. They kill so many people. I know. You can't even find the one that you're trying to find because you're just finding all they the other murder ones. So that, many people. And I'm just like, scrolling through carnage. Right. And it's like, it's children. It's women. It's it's men. Men deserve not to be shot. You know, like, like we, we always talk about children because there's like, it's insane to kill children, but the men of Palestine do not deserve to, to be murdered because of a military occupation based off some fucking psychotic, theocratic dictatorship. The bodies keep piling up. Yeah. I think this is the one that happened in Huara, near Nablus. His name was Ammar Mifleh. He was 22 years old. He died in Huara, south of Nablus, after he was shot by an apartheid border police officer. The video showing his murder shows that he was engaged in a scuffle with the occupation soldier, trying to push him off of him. Cause why is he touching him? Right. You know, like this is the thing is like Palestinians don't even have the right to be engaged in a scuffle to protect their own bodily autonomy. Cause immediately the reaction is going to be, well, he shouldn't have been in the scuffle. Right. And it's like, what an insane response. If somebody is aggressing you and using violence against you, you have the right to defend yourself, especially when they're on your land. And that's exactly what he did, just with his hands. And the occupation soldier shot him dead at point-blank range. And it was all captured on film. And then Ben-Givir said, great job. Like, really good work. And it's like, okay, so you are all crazy. Like, there's, I mean, and people are like, why, why don't you talk? Why don't you talk to some Zion? And it's Michael, like, because. The actual quote of Ben Gavir in response to the execution of the Palestinian in Hawara is much worse than that. Yeah. He, read hail, it. he hails the quote unquote hero for a quote unquote job well done and commented that the killing was quote precise, swift, and rigorous. What? Like, what is this like obsession with like describing the killing and and then and then being excited about the way the killing was carried out? The killing was precise. The killing was swift. The killing was rigorous. And he called him a hero, which begs the question: What is a hero in the eyes of a Zionist? The hero is a man who literally executed a Palestinian on his land at point blank range who posed absolutely no threat to him because he didn't have any weapons. And again, he was unarmed. 
It was on the, the 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 occupation soldier had two guns. By the way, he had like a larger, like maybe automatic or semi-automatic rifle that had fallen to the ground, and then he had a handgun that he pulled out and murdered the guy with. And um, that's kind of like symbolic of how unequal the so-called clashes or fights between Israelis and Palestinians are. Where it's like Palestinians are on their land, unarmed, and Israelis are there with full gear, full tactical gear, and then at least a couple guns. Right. Uh, but when asked about it by like any criminal prosecution, the occupation soldier said that it was unintentional. I want to go back to the the killing of Jenna Zakarna for a second. Talk about the headlines that came out of the BBCs. The BBC initially posted a headline that read, Palestinian girl shot dead on roof of West Bank home. Again, violating the most cardinal rule of journalism. If somebody is murdered, you have to tell us who did the murdering. Palestinian girl shot dead. Who shot her dead? They updated that headline a few hours later with something much, much worse. It now reads, Israel says, likely killed Palestinian girl in error. Imagine if your life matters so little that a literal apartheid state can just say that it likely killed you in error. That like your murder of your actual life, like the loss of your life is just being described as an error. Like a computer glitch, you know? It was an error. Yeah. Ever allowing them to take power was an error. Jenna now joins the over 50 Palestinian children who have been murdered this year by the apartheid state. And there will be no justice for her. Like there's no justice for the other 50 children who were murdered by Israel. Every day we come here and we report the same thing. We, we talk about another child who was murdered, another child who was taken unjustly from their families, from their mothers, from their fathers. And every time we're here, we report the same thing, that the apartheid state comes up with some joke of an excuse. The media irresponsibly prints it and puts it on paper, giving it some sort of you know air of legitimacy, and the world moves on. And this shows exactly why the signs of solidarity that we have seen coming out of the World Cup, which is, you know, this 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 world event that shows international consensus of the people. This is not the UN. This is not some sort of an intergovernmental meeting of ministers. This is people. This is far more honest than any vote at the United Nations. You see the Palestinian flags flying from everyone. It doesn't matter where you're from. You could be from North Africa. You could be from Japan. You could be from Ireland. And you've got people out here supporting the Palestinian cause wholeheartedly. You got Irish guys speaking Arabic. Right. Eamon posted a really good clip that he shared from his show on MSNBC where he talked about how the Western media narrative has continued to engage in an oversimplification of Arab sentiment. Instead of asking, why are all of these people supporting the Palestinian cause, instead of trying to understand, is there something about this cause that is worthy? Is this cause perhaps representative of a great injustice in this time? 
Is it worth looking into a little bit further? Instead of asking these questions, the Western media has instead chosen to focus on the perspectives and the sentiments of these Zionist journalists. They have also continued to omit Israeli aggression from the narrative entirely. Instead of possibly explaining to their readers why people would be so inclined as to support Palestinians and what their cause is all about, they leave their readers confused, completely ignorant about what this is even about. And it continues to be one of the great crimes of Western journalists and Western media outlets, their obfuscation of the Palestinian cause and their continued efforts to cover up for Israeli crimes. The BBC has blood on its hands. The New York Times has blood on its hands. Is that printer ink or is that our reporting? All of this is happening at the same time as we are seeing in pop culture, these films come out where Zionist crimes are being detailed whether it be Farha, which is a movie that, that shows the story of a Palestinian girl during the Nakba, and, and, and we spoke about that before, or the, the film which recently came out called Tantura, a film by Elon Schwartz, rented on Vimeo for $4.99. I highly encourage that you all see it. Tantura shows us, out of the mouths of babes, of these Zionist soldiers, talking about the horrific crimes that they were the authors of during the Nakba, in the village of Tantura. I just want to take you really quickly through one of these Zionist soldiers' interviews who appeared in, in the documentary Tantura. His name is Yosef Diamond, probably around the age of 90-something right now, and tells us about his involvement in the massacres of Tantura. He says that Tantura was a rich village and had beautiful houses. He says its residents lived like Europeans, you know. Already, just in the first few sentences, dismantling major, major points of Zionist propaganda, right? Nobody there. They were uncivilized. Here you go. He's telling you out of the out of one of the men who actually committed the, the massacre at Tantura is telling you. Also such a Eurocentric understanding of like civility, sure. you know, they, they had a civilization just like Europeans. Because, you know, the Arabs, they didn't have... It's like they couldn't, You can't be an Arab civilization. That doesn't make any sense. Sure. Let's just <laughs> take him at his word. Tantura was a rich village and had beautiful That's heavy. What is that? That's Orientalism, right? Absolutely. He said its yeah. residents lived like Europeans, you know? And he said, and the women of the village used to wear nice clothes. For real, it was a village. Then he goes on to tell, talk about the crimes that the Zionists committed there. He said one of the soldiers raped a 16-year-old girl. And then he started to laugh. He said, the events there were horrendous. There was a guy with us, a soldier. He's dead. He was a brutal human being. He took the Palestinians and put them in a cage and killed them. If you don't believe us or our ancestors, our grandparents, who, who, who have been saying since the, since the Nakba what has happened to them and what has happened to their family members, well, then maybe you'll believe the Zionists who committed these crimes themselves. Now appearing on camera to talk about it decades later. I'll go on. He says, they gathered them in something like a cage and put iron wires around it. They gathered all the men, sat them on the ground, and one of the soldiers got the submachine gun and shot them. He changed the cartridge. 
He said, we were not like that. That person was different and unusual. They imposed a cover-up. There were soldiers who took flamethrowers and ran after the villagers and burned them. It was horrible. And no one is allowed to talk about that. I won't talk about it because it would be a big scandal. I don't want to talk about it. Another soldier was also interviewed. He describes that in the first three or four months, I was a murderer. I took no prisoners. If someone raised their hands, I didn't arrest them. He continues, if school kids stood up and raised their hands, I would have killed all of them. How many, he was asked by the interviewer, how many people have you killed this way? He said, I didn't count. I wouldn't be able to know. And then he laughs. And by the way, I was banned from posting in our Israel for posting that interview on Reddit. So they don't want to hear about it. When Palestinians talk about what happened to them and their families, we're immediately dismissed. You know, we're not reliable. We can't tell our own stories about why it is that we're all refugees and what happened to make us refugees as if the facts themselves don't don't speak for themselves, right? That's fine. We're brushed off. We're not, you know, we're not reliable. We're exaggerating. We're not telling the whole story. But when the Zionist murderers themselves are speaking about the crimes that they committed, full admissions of the crimes that they committed. What is this weird, twisted reality where the media now is trying to cover up the crimes which are being admitted to by the former soldiers themselves? Yeah, Zionists talking to Palestinians. You're not telling the whole story. You're painting an unfair picture to Israelis and then Zionists admitting their crimes. We can't tell the whole story. It'll actually be worse for us than you thought. Right. But also the parts that they do reveal are enough to confirm what Palestinians have been saying all along. That there was a massacre at Tantura of Palestinians, that they massacred Palestinians in all of the villages that were raised by Zionist militias, that the Nakba was an extreme event of ethnic cleansing and murder at the hands of Zionist militias. They've confirmed that for us. And yet there are people who will go to great lengths to cover up, to hide, to confuse, to, to, to make excuses for these admissions that we're seeing on camera today. There's a Zionist propagandist who went on comedian Godfrey's show recently and was asked like, Israelis and Palestinians, like whose fault is it? And or like who's at fault basically? Who's wrong? And the propagandist said the British. Because mm -hmm. he's he loves to obfuscate, you know. What I mean, he loves right. to take no responsibility. And it was on the same day that that gentleman was executed in Huara. And so it's just like, are the British responsible for that? Did the British give you those horses? You know what I mean? Like, are the British pulling the trigger of sniper rifles independently? Like, at what point do you all take responsibility for the fact that you've imposed the most brutal occupation society has ever known? Like, you love to be number one. Take credit for it. Yeah. They're like, we are the innovators in technology. And what they mean is like, they are the most advanced spying intelligence apparatus the world has ever known. They are, they're like, we are 
making innovations in technology. And what they mean is they're testing on humans, probably. Right. <laughs> I read you the accounts that are shown in the documentary Tantura. The New York Times, critics pick, reviewed the documentary Tantura. And the headline was, Tantura Review, Unearthing the Past. Revisiting a graduate thesis that caused a controversy in Israel decades ago, this documentary examines evidence of a possible massacre in 1948. Girl what? was likely killed on a rooftop. Possible massacre. Never, never, never massacre. You know what I mean? Nobody is talking about the possible massacre of the Holocaust. If the you know what I mean? It's Yeah, if the perpetrators themselves are admitting to the massacre, who is the New York Times to now take that admission and retract it and to call it a possible massacre? One of the soldiers literally tells you that he didn't stop for anyone and that he killed everybody he could. He didn't take any prisoners and that he had 250 bullets in one gun and he emptied it on Palestinians. Yeah, we should mention that murdering people who have surrendered is a war crime. I mean, we're just so accustomed to them committing war crimes that we kind of just like gloss over. But you're not meant to shoot people who are not engaged in any type of combat, which is they don't understand that. They only shoot people who are not engaged in combat. That's their like they don't know how to shoot people who are engaged in combat because they've never like they'll just blow those people up. They don't want to take any risk of like maybe losing one guy. They'll send a machine to do that. Like now, I will say that the Intercept had a a good article. Tantura exposes the lie at the heart of Israel's founding myth. Now, that's a heading I can agree with. A new documentary challenges Israel's narrative about 1948 and the forced displacement of Palestinians. Now, here's something interesting that the that the article mentions: the state of Israel so fears its own history that it passed a law in 2011 penalizing anyone who commemorates the day of its establishment as one of mourning rather than celebration. So if you're Palestinian in 48 and parts of your family, members of your family were expelled, murdered, imprisoned, raped during the Nakba, you cannot commemorate the day of Israel's establishment as the Nakba. So this is what's known as the Nakba law. And it's just one of the ways that Israel desperately tries to control the narrative surrounding its establishment. The article goes on to reference how before the military opened its archives of the 1948 war, it issued a policy forbidding the release of any documents detailing the forced deportation of Palestinians, any human rights violations, including war crimes committed by Israeli forces, or anything that might harm the IDF's image or expose it as devoid of moral standards. That's a quote. So here's so so wait a minute. The state at, at one point had a policy forbidding the release of any evidence which would prove Palestinians right about the Nakba. The state was like, oh, if there's any evidence that proves the Nakba, it is a crime to share that evidence. If there's any evidence that would, quote, expose Israel as devoid of moral standards, end quote, it is a crime to release those documents. You will be prosecuted for that. If you are the most moral army, are you worried about being devoid of moral standards? Are you going to such lengths that you pass legislation 
to stop anybody from exposing your image doesn't sound like something that the most moral army would do you know what i mean the most moral army would probably not be concerned yes and also if like the responses of israeli officials today when speaking about the fatha movie were true oh that never happened these are just lies 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 well if all of it is lies then why do you have a law that prevents people from sharing evidence that confirms what we are saying is true that the Nakba happened, that you murdered our family members, that you expelled us from our land, that you raped our children, and that you imprisoned our men and boys. Why is there a law that prevents those that type of evidence from being released to the public if what you're saying, that it's all lies, is true? If it's lies, it wouldn't exist. You wouldn't need this law because you'd be making a law about something which doesn't exist. The fact that there's a law means that this stuff exists and your effort to cover it up and to change reality by hiding the evidence of what actually happened during the founding of your so-called state and preventing Palestinians from sharing the trauma that you inflicted upon them and then reorienting by pushing a new narrative that is not at all based in fact. If it was lies, there wouldn't be this literal skeleton talking about how he murdered people. Right. <laughs> and that. <laughs> that guy, you said he was 90, but he didn't look a day over 1,000. That guy, that guy looked like a fucking genie for an old folks home and they get three wishes and it's all murder. Alan Schwartz, the Israeli filmmaker who made the documentary Tantura was quoted as saying for Israelis, the founding myth is that Palestinians just ran away by themselves. Israel is lying to itself. He said, how can people run away if they were never there? Michael, you're getting the, peop the, the people who were not there ran away. There was nobody there, but if they were there, they ran. They love to run. You know what I mean? Big marathon people, the Palestinians. Michael, you'll recall that Elon Schwartz is not the first Israeli who has tried to shed light on the massacre that took place at Santura and, and, and show this to Israeli society. In the 1990s, Theodore Katz, an Israeli graduate student, interviewed members of the occupation's Alexandroni Brigade, the unit that carried out the massacre, and he wrote a thesis based on their testimonies. You'll remember that he was destroyed for it. He was taken to court, forced to retract his thesis and apologize. He never got his degree. And basically, nobody before Elon Schwartz asked Theodore Katz to listen to those interviews. Now, Elon Schwartz, armed with those tapes, years later, returned once again to the members of the Alexandroni Brigade, now to close to the end of their lives, and asked them to speak about what one normally does not speak about in Israel. So that's how you see now these 90-some-year-old murderers talking about what they did in Tantura. And honestly, what's interesting is that if there were more Israelis with this amount of courage, I mean, to take on a project like this is you're good. You, I mean, like who knows what's going to happen to this director, but the reality is, is that you are going to get excommunicated from society. You're going to get doxxed. You're going to get attacked. You're going to, you know, your, your reputation is gone. Everything is going to, you know, you're giving up a lot for this kind of thing. But if there were, if there were more Israelis willing to take on the founding myths of their state I'm sure that so much more of this could come to light in a way that it's not coming to light because Palestinian voices continue to be silenced. He actually had access to the actual murderers. He managed to get them to agree to sit down for an interview and to talk about their crimes. 
And I think that that is something that really only somebody who has access to that community, access to that society would have been able to do. If a Palestinian tried to make that movie, it would have been much more difficult. Right? Yeah. They would have gotten caught at checkpoints. They would have gotten sniped unintentionally. So I think this speaks to one of the ways that you see somebody who has privilege use it and tell a story that otherwise we wouldn't have access to from their perspective. We, of course, have access to it from our own perspective, that of our grandparents and the generations before us. But the accounts that he managed to preserve in film, the admissions of war crimes, the admissions of brutal, brutal acts confirming decades of Palestinian insistence on the massacres of the Nakba, I think is a tremendous, tremendous um, addition to the public conversation about the Palestinian cause. Yeah, I'm not a lawyer or anything, but if I was prosecuting the occupation for war crimes, I would use that video and be like, Your Honor, Exhibit A. And then you would say, I rest my case. Thank you so much for your time. In one of the film's most poignant scenes, Katz, who actually appears in the documentary, now in a wheelchair after suffering multiple strokes, asks Schwartz, the filmmaker, whether he is ready to be hunted down like I was. They they robbed a man of his life and his potential because he wanted to investigate the war crimes of the occupation. And that's what they do. Like They'll incentivize you to be ignorant. They'll incentivize you to not care or acknowledge the crimes because you know what will happen if you do. You don't want to end up like Teddy Katz, my boy. Isn't it crazy that that guy, Theodore Katz, is like the one relaying the message on behalf of the Zionist occupation that it's like, you're next. Sort of like passing the baton type thing where it's like, it was me. This is what's happened. Good luck to you. And that's why more people don't do it, right? That's why more people are like, there was nobody here. And then they ran away. It's easier to do that. It's it's easier to ingest that lie, which literally makes no sense. And then just enjoy the beach, <laughs> right? Just enjoy superiority just enjoy supremacy just enjoy not waiting in checkpoints just enjoy driving on private roads just enjoy having access to water that's not yours just enjoy living places that everybody in the international community recognizes is illegal and then shooting people in the, in their neighborhood shooting people in their neighborhood that you've moved into against international law and then just terrorizing people who are like picking olives, you know what I mean? Harvesting on their own land, showing up with sticks, showing up with guns, showing up with occupation soldiers, little grenade, little tear gas, little tear gas sommelier. What flavor today? We've got a fucking blueberry flavor today. We're leaders in innovative technology. We're the first vape grenade. And it's like, it's easier. It's easier to do that than it is to face the reality of the fact that you're standing on the graves of murdered Palestinians. And the people who murdered them are on camera talking about it, like laughing, 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 laughing at murdering and raping people. Is that 
a society that can be talked to and like reasoned with? Is that a society that has any potential for anything? Is that a society that represents Judaism where you're laughing at murdering and raping people? You know what's crazy about uh, like the black Israelites and the Zionists is they both agree that I'm not a Jew. <laughs> That's where they agree, right? They're like, you're not Jewish, but yeah. the people who are murdering and raping and then laughing about it, those are called Zionist heroes. So maybe I'm just a little confused. You know what I mean? Because my understanding of Judaism is you're not meant to murder and rape people. But, you know, I haven't been to temple in a while, so I guess maybe I've lost the message. Remember when murder and rape weren't funny? Yeah. <laughs> Remember when people were, like, upset about murder and rape? That's weird. Instead of, like, laughing and gloating about it. That's what's interesting, Michael, because when you compare the, their reactions to their retelling of the crimes that they committed, it contradicts the official state narrative of when the state today engages in the killing of Palestinians, right? Today, it wasn't us. Oh, maybe it was us. If it was us, we're sorry, right? If it was us, it was an error, right? But these guys are like, Oh no, we were definitely trying to murder and it was hilarious. So who do you believe? The people engaged in the acts or the ones who are responsible for covering it up? It just shows how the message has shifted, right? It corresponds to how like the messaging of Zionism has shifted. Right, because the original Zionists were very clear cut. They were like, We're the colonizers, they are the native people, we have to expel them from their land, we have to surreptitiously get them to leave, whatever. You know what I mean? Uh, but modern Zionists are like, We are indigenous decolonized Judeans, we are reclaiming our homeland. You know, it's like the messaging has shifted. And it's like the old school generation of murderers is like, oh, yeah, 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 we murdered, we raped, that's what we did. But this new school generation of murderers is like, it was unintentional, it was an error, it was, you know, classic mix-up where you snipe a 15-year-old girl four times. But Micronesia said, we understand. <laughs> Micronesia said, happens all the time. Thank you so much for the aid. Okay, this headline is great. You're going to love it. IDF, this is from the Hot Ritz, December 12th. IDF soldiers behind Twitter accounts harassing journalists and left-wing activists. You don't say. Shocker. The operators of two fake Twitter accounts have incriminated themselves on multiple occasions as being linked to a military company that is deployed in the Southern Hebron Hills area in the West Bank, Hot Ritz found. And they, these accounts were used to harass left-wing activists and Israeli soldiers. Since November, they appear to be run by Israeli soldiers deployed in the West Bank. So basically, when they're not murdering, they're on Twitter harassing journalists. I was going to say, isn't it crazy how the definition of a soldier has changed? And now it's a guy logged on to Twitter. I think they're, they're still probably doing the murdering. No, no, they're still doing the yeah. murdering, but like it's a different guy. You know what I mean? Like, There's one guy who's a Twitter guy. 
And then there's one guy who's like a gun guy. Like they're not the same guy. The people who are logged into Twitter are not, I mean, they might have guns, but they're not using them because even the occupation army is like, you shouldn't be near a gun, but you're a nerd. Get in there and type for us. And it's like, I know these people because I've gone to war with them on TikTok. Like they are very obvious agents of propaganda. Some of them will admit to being friends with members of Unit 8200, which is their surveillance unit. Some of them will use their proximity towards the occupation's intelligence apparatus as like an appeal to authority. And that's why you should trust what they have to say. For all you know, those horses were fucking fans of Morocco. You guys are fucking making horses do weird shit. Okay. Far right Israeli lawmaker Zivka Fogel expressed his desire in a recent clip to scrap the principle of proportionality in an interview with the British broadcaster Channel 4. So today in Racist Sinus, we have Israeli lawmaker Zivka Fogel, who was quoted as saying, if it's a choice between one Israeli mother crying or a thousand Palestinian mothers crying, a thousand Palestinian mothers will cry. On par with the death tolls that have been coming out of Gaza. He was also quoted as saying, we are, quote, too merciful. It's time for us to stop being so. Now, what part of executing a 16-year-old standing on her roof with sniper fire four times is too merciful? I feel like they have- No, but let's let's just humor them for a second, right? Let's assume that the status quo is them being too merciful. Right. That means they want to do more. Right. More murder. That means that they're they're like holding back every time they execute a child. Like that's not what they were thinking about is like blowing up that whole neighborhood. So you should actually be happy that it was just one child. I like, mean, in Gaza, they've done that. The Shuja'iya neighborhood of Gaza was totally razed to the ground. It's an entire neighborhood which yeah. basically doesn't exist. Because and that was them being restrained. And that, that was their was, restraint. That was a couple of years ago. This gem of a human being is no surprise part of, of Ben Gavir's party of other totally insane maniacs. What is there to say? Yeah, they keep saying far right. You know what I mean? Like, what does that even mean in the occupation? Like, who is on the left? You know, like, what is left? There is no left. There's nothing there's only, left. They only talk. Yeah, there's only the ones on the far right. There might be some guys. There's only the right. There's only the there's right. the right, and then there's like the far right, which is what? Hey, who was a far right character in history? I forget. Oh my god. There's Netanyahu, and then there's everybody to the right of Netanyahu. When Netanyahu himself is a genocidal, murdering maniac. Yeah. There's he's. They're like they're like that's not enough. Not enough. That is restraint. That is unintentional. What they want is intentional. And Gavir, intentional. Never, never would he say that the murder was an accident. He is like the murder is on purpose and the murder is justified. Yeah. He he congratulated the murderer for saying that it, the murder was precise. And Swift yeah. called him a hero. Because that's what their conception of a hero is. And these are the people who pretend to represent Judaism. Swift, precise murder. 
Remember, do not kill, do not steal. Such a simpler time for Jews. Folks, that has been another episode of the Palestine Pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Please check out our full episodes and sources at www.palestinepod.com. Follow us on Instagram at the Palestine Pod. Send us an email at palestinepod at gmail.com. And check us out on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash Palestine Pod. That's been another episode of the Palestine Pod. Thank you all so much for listening. Have a great day.